Even though the loved one you're caring for is still alive, you may already be feeling the weight and pain of their loss. While some people might think of this as a type of depression, it's really a distinct form of grieving. And it's also a natural, expected response when caring for someone with long-term incurable disease. This kind of grief can hurt as much as what you feel when a loved one dies. Sometimes it may make the loss after death easier, but not always. It's real. You can't ignore it and hope to just power through. Allow yourself to process the grief and appreciate the time you have left. You won't be doing your loved one a disservice by doing this. However, you will be doing yourself a disservice if you don't allow yourself to feel your honest feelings. Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss. A quick note before we get into the show, please make sure you're following us on social media. All of the links to our accounts are in the show notes, which you can click through right there on your phone down below. Got it? Thanks so much. And while you're there, would you mind giving us a four or probably five, maybe even a 10 star review? We're still a new podcast and this is the best way for new people to find us and make sure you like and share this with your friends. With me today are two people, Lisa Marie Churko. You heard from her earlier this year. She is the producer of the Dementia Caregiver Cruises. And Richard Crichton, he is also caring for his wife, Kate. And today we're talking about caregiver grief and maybe kind of how to navigate all of the intense feelings that caregivers have while we're while we're caregivers. So thanks for joining me, Richard and Lisa. Thank you, Jennifer. It's great to be here. I'm also happy to be with you, Jennifer. Look forward to it. So Richard, why don't you tell me or tell us a little bit about your journey? Because you also took care of parents. So you've been down this road several times, and now you're on a journey with your wife, which I understand from our previous conversations is different than caring for parents. Yes, I, I would say so. This is, uh, by the way, my 30th consecutive year of caregiving. And <laughs> wow. so I have been through a lot. On the other hand, uh, my experience with my wife is very different because I am her sole caregiver and I'm living with her. I, it's a full-time job. I've retired to, to take care of her. Uh, with our four parents, and then with my dad's significant other, uh, after my mother had died, uh, you know, it was a different kind of uh, experience. My parents lived in town, so there was a lot of day-in, day-out activity. Uh, with Sarah's parents, they were in Texas to start with, then her father died. Later, her mother had vascular dementia and joined us, was with us in our home for five and a half years with uh, round-the-clock care 24-7 at five and a half years. So our, our place ran like a sort of like a little hospital or a nursing uh, facility. And uh, my dad had a stroke. Uh, he lived to be 100. He was the longest living of uh, parents and uh, had a stroke three years, three and a half years before he died. And that immobilized him. And uh, he was in nursing, skilled nursing, for the rest of his life, but mentally he was sharp. He was actually in the early stages of vascular dementia, which is a little funny to say for someone who's 100. Wow. Um, but uh, he was still rather sharp and uh, whatnot. So overlapping with my father's uh, situation was the diagnosis with Kate in 2011. And um, so I've had that kind of experience. And uh, that one is very different because I think, I hate to generalize, I can only tell you about our experience, but the difference is in the nature of the relationship. The, the spousal relationship is just clearly a different from a, a parent-child relationship. Uh, in many respects, I guess I, I felt like my parents had lived full lives, and so their being ill and dying was part of what I expected all along. 
But I didn't feel that way at all when Kate was diagnosed because I felt like we were reaching a point in our lives when we would be doing much more. And fortunately, we have. Perhaps I ought to stop a moment and see if that just lays the groundwork for, for a discussion. Wow. Thank you for sharing your journey with us, Richard. Um, this topic is so important. And um, wow, you, you are an expert by experience. You've, you've had so much um, going on as a caregiver. And it's interesting to see the differences, too. Um, as you were talking, I was thinking about the different types of grief and, um, we, we read a lot about, uh, anticipatory grief and, uh, certainly, you know, we have that, like you said, we, we expect as our parents get older, these things to happen. And, and, and I don't know the type of grief you're feeling now with your wife. Um, but I think living in the present moment, which is so hard to do. And for care partners, caregivers, it's, it's one of the most difficult things because your mind races in a million different directions. Um, I imagine as a spouse, you're grieving what once was, you're asking the why question. Um, but you, you've clearly done a beautiful job of living in the now. And, and there's a lot of folks out there who are not as fortunate as you. Um, so you really, you're setting a, a great example for a lot of people. Um, you know, um, from my dad's last part of his journey, he was in skilled nursing. And uh, that's when I was his caregiver and I was at the nursing home every day. And it's very difficult. Um, so not only did I have the anticipatory grief, also too, when I saw my mom and dad interacting, I was so sad to see what could not be. So Alzheimer's came and stole away their golden years. And to watch my mom, just the sadness that she had in, you know, interacting with my dad and, and vice versa. And to see, you know, to see my parents not be able to be what they should have been at that time. So that was a, another grief. And that made me very sad as well, because you don't, you love your parents and you want them to be happy. So there's all these layers of grief. Um, and what I did that I want to talk about, and you're clearly not doing that, Richard, um, I often would put it on a shelf and you can't do that. Um, so can you perhaps talk about how from day to day you're living your life very fully? Is it Kate, your, your, your spouse, her name again? I'm sorry. Kate. Yes. Kate. Okay. So you and Kate are living very fully. Could you talk about from day to day? What, what happens when let's say you're, you're, you're out with her, you're having a nice lunch and, and you look over at her, you know, the woman that you love, and maybe your mind does race to the future or to the past. And you feel it just, it comes from out of nowhere. And, and maybe you want to cry or you want to turn away. What do you do when it really gets you during the day? And, and you don't, you don't want Kate to see that. You don't want her to be hurt by that. And you want to be strong. Can you share with us how you deal with that? Okay, well, first, let me say, I don't experience exactly what you're talking about. It, my grief, feelings of grief and sadness don't usually appear in that kind of situation. They come up in the middle of the night Okay. when I wake up at two o'clock in the morning and my thoughts keep going to the future mm. and what might happen. And even though I feel like I have a game plan, I, I I feel a sense of um, anxiety okay. uh, about it. Um, so that that's the probably the most typical thing. On the other hand, what happens during the daytime would be perhaps when we're not when we're not interacting at all, but that um, I just feel like there are things that I should be doing that I'm not doing, and I have no excuse for not doing them. <laughs> I just don't feel like doing it at that particular time. Okay. Um, so that's, that's, those are the kinds of situations that occur. When I am with Kate, I feel like that I am constantly working on focusing on her, and that actually keeps me occupied. I don't feel grief at that moment. I do, I'll tell you the toughest moment, though, in the, your, this is a sadness moment. I'm not sure you would say this is, 
part of grieving, uh -huh. but it's certainly a sadness. The troublesome part for me is when she's hurting. And that has happened a few times. She's had a couple of panic attacks and several time, times that I would call more anxiety rather than panic attacks when she doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know who I am. She doesn't know where she is. And she's just uneasy. Those are tough for me to deal with. Mm -hmm. And But again, what I have to do is help her. And I'm so focused on trying to, for example, give her some kind of stimulation that will, you know, show her pictures, talk about family, mm -hmm. things that I know she likes, to give her some sense of comfort that I think that sustains me for a while during the moment. And then it's afterwards that uh, there may be some kind of lingering thing. I keep, I find that keeping busy, and I do stay pretty busy, mm -hmm. I think staying busy has helped me tremendously. Okay. I may also add, there's a real difference with my father, and I think something that helped me. My father, uh, you know, I have great admiration for him, but he was a very gregarious person. So he had a distribution list of a lot of people he kept up with on email when he had his stroke at 97. Uh -huh. And he could no longer use his computer afterwards. So I took over the distribution list and I sent out almost daily emails to everybody on his, they had about 55 people. Uh -huh. I sent emails out almost every day under his name and under it I said, and scribe. Mm -hmm. And I tried to capture what he was thinking and feeling all the while. Uh, and I often read them to him and he felt they were, I was capturing it. That gave me a sense of purpose and kept me from from feeling sadness, even as he deteriorated uh -huh. over time. And then, of course, he really did leave a good life until two weeks before he died. So that was fortunate. Let me stop there. Wow. Well, I love that story. And thank you for sharing that with us. That's beautiful. So just sort of taking the reins over from something that he did before the stroke and, and being a part of that, and he's still communicating with his friends, and he knew you were doing it, and he was happy about it, and, and it helped you, and it helped him. Oh, absolutely. He got a kick out yeah. of it, and, and there were people, and I was sharing a lot of these things on Facebook as well, and my father was a funny man. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, there was always a story to tell. And, uh, it, you know, for example, I'd, I'd get a call in the middle of the night. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, and he'd say, hello. He said, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, well, I, I was sleeping, Dad. He said, oh, well, what time is it? Well, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. And he said, oh, I didn't know that. Uh, and he would always go on like this. Even, even near death's door, when I introduced him to a preacher who was going to do his funeral service, uh -huh. he said, well, how much you have to pay him? <laughs> and I, I just always had story. I always had material. Uh -huh. All of his material. He was a fun guy. Wow. People loved him, and uh, that that helped sustain me, sure. quite honestly. And I am sustained now with Kate mm -hmm. by it's more like a, a mission, a feeling for her. I want her to feel safe and secure mm -hmm. and happy, and so I I concentrate on that now. That's what some people would say is denial. Um, I don't know. I, I call it love. I call it love. I wouldn't call it denial. Maybe a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist would, but I, I, I call it love. And um, your father sounds like a very special man, and so does Kate. Wow, those are – thank you for sharing. The, these are great stories, and I think they, they, they help people too. So, for instance, when I, when I talk about my journey and I urge others – I, you know, if I had to do it over again, what I wouldn't do is go into that tunnel. So what I did is I had this tunnel vision. I didn't, I just took my pain and my, my grief and just put it on a shelf. And I, and, and I concentrated at the task at hand was to make sure that my dad got the best care as possible um, at the nursing home and um, everything that, you know, there was quite a bit involved there, but what you're talking about um, is very important. So there's little ways. And Jennifer, I think you'll agree that 
care partners and caregivers could maybe pivot and shift during the day. And, and I think just sharing your story about your dad's newsletter that may have given uh, caregivers some ideas, you know? Um, now, Jennifer, when you go in to see your mom at memory care, she's got a lot going on there. Um, I, and I know there's some days you, you shared with me where there's some anxiety and, and you've helped her to, can you share with us maybe some ways that, that you pivot to out of that sadness, anger, anxiety? Well, I don't know if it's, if it's a positive thing for some, but it works for me is because she's declined quite dramatically over the past four months. And we've had some uh, miscommunication between her brain and her bladder. So she thinks that she's had an accident when she hasn't. And that's been not fun. Mm -hmm. There have been many days I've shown up and she's in a state of distress and undress which is really hard to say clearly. Yeah. And in the beginning, I w it, it would hit me kind of like, almost like a slap across the face because she's upset and unhappy. And it's like, oh, I just, you know, I just wanted to take her to the park to watch the kids or whatever. So now I just, I kind of, before I get out of the car, I center, center myself a little bit and I just expect the worst. And Every week when I've expected just stress and unhappiness, I haven't gotten any of it. So <laughs> I don't know if it's, I don't know exactly why my world works that way, but I try to just, when I show up, I try to make sure that I'm in a positive mood. I put a big smile on my face, no matter how I feel and, you know, greet her with almost a ridiculously effusive happy greeting. I mean, it probably looks a little bit clownish to people who don't have broken brains, but it always kind of puts her on the right, on the right step. It's like, oh, my best friend is here. We're going to go do something fun. I'm not sure that she remembers that, but it's more of a feeling because mm -hmm. I work very hard to give her happy little adventures, take her out of the you know, memory care residents give her fun things to do, even though they're not really all that fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I have, I struggle a little bit with, I get very, I, I have to kind of tamp down the, I get kind of angry because I feel like even though, you know, my dad had chronic illnesses and we all should have expected him to go first. That was never a conversation. And I get I get mad because like the woman's got plenty of money. She could travel and decorate and do whatever the heck she wants and not be stressing about whether or not she's had an accident or repeating herself the same spot at the same place in the park over and over and over. It just, I, I guess I get angry because I feel like she's just been robbed of what she should have. She's got three grandkids. That's, you know, my daughter's almost 28 my niece is almost 14 and my nephew's 10 and a half. So she's got, you know, she's got a variety of grandkid ages to be doing, you know, fun things. You know, my daughter's planning a wedding and we don't even know if we'll bring my mom because she gets confused and it's stressful. And then you feel guilty because you're like, well, she should be there, but having her there, it doesn't really add to the joy. It actually makes things worse. So it's, it, I always feel like this, tug of war like what's the right thing to do for myself or you know the extended family versus what's the right thing to do for mom I constantly feel that that tug of war like emotionally not easy they're not easy things that you're talking about and um and I know they they are common across the board with families you know and there's all these stages of this disease um they're not easy. Uh, one thing I, I stress with my clients is talking about, besides living in the present moment, is that no matter, you know, we, we know the progression of the different types of dementia. We know what happens and what the body does, but the person never stops being who they are. There's just sort of think about, there's a, there's a little layer. Yes, there is some, it is a brain disease, but, but their soul, their essence is still there. 
it's always still there. And, um, and, and it's easy when we're frustrated during the day and, and there's multiple, maybe there's additional health issues and your loved one is having a bad day. It's easy to forget about that, but it's, the disease can talk all at once, but underneath your loved one, um, does not fade away, you know, and we hear these terms thrown out all the time, you know, it robs it. Yes, it, it, it does do horrible things to the human body, but it cannot take away um, their spirit and their essence. And, um, you know, and that's, that's hard to remember. I know when, when we have our day-to-day issues, um, it sounds like Richard, that you do an excellent job with remembering um, who Kate is all the time. Well, I let me say I, I attribute a lot of that directly to Kate herself. Uh, in fact, I, I love your saying something about retaining uh, her essence because that's exactly what has I've experienced with Kate. She is still underneath the same kind, loving person who also wants to do things the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for example, even now there, there are times when she will snap at me in a way that she would never have done before. Um, But immediately having done so, she's likely then to apologize to me. And she's, oh, I'm so sorry. I I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have spoken to you that way. Uh, She's so sensitive to that. And she expresses her appreciation just effusively and and, uh, so commonly in, in everyday life. Uh, she talks about uh, how patient I am with her, all the things I do for her. I mean, she's, she is still so aware of, of so many things and her own self-awareness. I'm, I'm astounded at, at her own self-awareness. Uh, so I have an easier job than most caregivers. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm, I, I really even hesitate sometimes to, to talk about what our experience is like because I know other people are struggling more who have more challenging situations than I have by a long shot. Um, and uh, there are many things working in our favor. And the only thing that has not is the fact that she has Alzheimer's and you can't get around that. Right. But uh, her essence is still there. Well, that's wonderful. My mom's essence is still there, but because she is my mom, I get the parental essence. I think I said on the phone, and I said this to Richard earlier before we were recording, a couple weeks ago when I was visiting with her, and as you know, because we're still having beautiful weather here in Northern California, I take her to the park because she enjoys watching children. That's probably getting boring for everybody to hear, but that's what we do. And she verbalized some stuff at me. It was words, but it was not a sentence. So I apologized and I told her I didn't, I said, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't hear all of that. And she repeated it and I, it still made no sense. And I probably should have just agreed with her, but it was a frustrating day in the beginning of the day for me, not having anything to do with my mother. And I wasn't, wasn't as mentally sharp in that direction as I guess I should have been. And so I apologized again. I said I didn't understand or something along those lines. And she just whipped her head around and looked at me and she goes, now I've told you twice. Now you just sit still and be quiet. And I was like, oh, I do not think we are going down this path. And I just looked at her and I said, I'm sorry, but people do not tell me what to do. I'm an adult. And then she says, well, excuse me for living. I'm like, okay, this is going well today. <laughs> So I get a lot of the, it's like my entire life, whatever I did was not enough. And as an adult, my daughter's 28 and the path that we all thought she would be on is not the path she's on. So I've had to mentally pivot and say, you know what? I did a great job. She's happy. She's on her own. She's supporting herself. Yes, she's not using her college degree, but that's because she's got a, a chronic illness that prevents it. So life is fine. With my parents, I think they always wanted they wanted the best for me. And if they didn't think that I was meeting that mark, 
I always felt like no matter what I did, it wasn't good enough. And I still feel like that with my mother. I don't know if that's all on me or if I'm getting some of that parental vibe from her, from her essence, like you said. And it's really frustrating because holy heck, <laughs> I really work hard to give her nice adventures, enjoyable, you know, we go to the pool and the library and the park. I take her to all kinds of different parks so that she has a variety, not that it matters to her, of kids to watch. And I do occasionally get a thank you. I had a really nice day. But most of the time, it's just, I just get this contrary attitude that just makes me want to stuff her in the trunk. Well, you know, may I comment uh, yes. on that? I, uh, you know, with, there's the difference. You're putting your finger on one of the differences I see between parents, a relationship with parents, and a relationship with your spouse. Uh, the, the, you're always the child in some senses, and parents frequently hold that late in life, and we as children do the same thing for our parents. You know, we don't want to really interfere with them when we see that it's necessary. They don't believe it's time, and there are lots of other things that go on in that interaction that make it different. Kate and I, in the, the very nature of our marriage, has always, in fact, I learned very early, uh, preface this by saying, my parents had a great marriage. We were married 70 years, but they quibbled all the time. <laughs> <laughs> my dad used to say, it's not a good day if we haven't had a fight. Now, I don't remember they're really fighting, but they did. They were just always a little nitp nitpicking about things. Uh, parents, Sarah's parents, uh, Kate's parents never did that. When we married, something came up and I said something to Kate and it just broke her heart when I said it. That was something that I thought was just a natural thing that coming out of my family seemed innocent. And I learned right there very quickly our relationship needed to be different. I needed to respond differently to her or she was going to be hurt all the time. Therefore, the nature of our relationship has been that we are both conflict avoiders. Neither one of us wants conflict any, any with anybody. Mm -hmm. And we are both people who want to please others and each other. And I think those two things have worked in our favor as she's been uh, going through her Alzheimer's, that it is still there. Each of us is still playing out that scenario. Wow. Um, yeah, these, these dynamics are uh, not easy, and I understand. Thank you for sharing that, Richard. And Jennifer, I understand what you're saying, um, but maybe it's time for you to shift into a a different way of seeing that relationship. You know, um, because someday when your mom passes away and she's in the higher realms. Don't think for one moment that she doesn't appreciate or have gratitude for the sacrifices that you make and for everything that you're doing with her, all the beautiful ways that you're trying to enrich her life right now. Um, I know she has it in her heart. And then, as I said, someday when she passes away from the higher realms, she, she will see a, a, a much bigger picture. But from day to day, it's you have to see that's the thing that's so difficult especially with the, the dementia, all types of dementia, not just Alzheimer's. Um, the human brain is so, so complicated. And, and these stories of our loved ones, they're going to, to, to vary so greatly. You know, my experience with my dad is quite a bit different than maybe someone else had. You know, everyone has a very different experience. Richard's experience with Kate is different. Um, keep in mind that these chain... You're, you're seeing these things going on with her and you almost have to attribute, I don't want to give a percentage, but I'll just say a majority to that. Yes, she might remind you of the mom you had when you were in your teens and 20s, but remember that there's daily changes going on in her brain. Remember the organic changes that are happening. So unfortunately, there's going to be that layer. There might be sarcasm, quirkiness, you know, that may get better over time or lessen over time. I mean, my dad lost his voice for the last five years of his Alzheimer's journey. So that obviously was not a dynamic that we had. Um, and people would walk in all the time to, you know, his 
um, his room at the nursing home and, you know, the, the, uh, the staff, the common question was, does he still know who you are? And it would frustrate me to no end because he did. And, um, just because he could no longer talk, um, you know, you, we saw it in his eyes. We saw that essence of Frank and it, it never left, you know, uh, up until his last day on earth. And, um, it's, it's tough as, as the, the family members, but you have to know though, that it's, a, we can't get a window into the human brain, but the disease is doing things that are going to perhaps make something worse. A part of your loved one's personality that was prevalent in earlier years might be lessened or it might be worse. Do you see what I'm saying, Jen? Yeah. And it's interesting because I see the, the need to be a helpful, caring person from mom towards the other residents. But because she thinks I'm her best friend, I don't get affections. And I'm not necessarily looking for affections, but she won't, you know, hold my hand when we walk, you know, to keep her from being a fall risk, which I've discussed in the past. She won't walk elbow and elbow with me. You know, I give her a little, you know, I don't want to say a minor hug, just a light hug before I go every time. And that seems okay, but it's, it's not a full body hug that you would give your mom because she doesn't like that. So it's, it's really, it's almost like a, a brain game that I have to go through because there's the part where she says things that are, um, what's the right word? She'll say things in a coarse way, like, well, excuse me for living. And that's, that's the negative person that I knew growing up. And then I see her being helpful and, and kind to all the residents. And it's like, are you kidding me? And I just, that's just kind of how she was as I grew up. So I, I accept it, but oh, it's. So those things might be amplified now and they may get worse. And I understand what you're saying at the heart of what you're saying is that you're hurt by it. You, you want, Mm -hmm. you want the hand holding and I understand that. And you want the hugs and, and you want, when you walk in the room, her bedroom at, at her residence now, you want her to smile and say, oh, hi, I'm so glad you're here. I get that, what you're saying. So that's sort of a form of grief because your heart hurts. But understand too, there's a layer over your mom's essence. So it might be very hard. She might not truly see you. Like you said, she thinks she's your best friend and the daughter role maybe is on a shelf right now. But that's not her. That's what the disease is doing to her. But in her heart, she loves you so much, so much. And as I said, someday when she's in the higher realms and there's going to be so many blessings and you will feel that you may not feel it until she passes away. But right now I think, so you don't keep getting hurt. Maybe just, just pivot into, okay, I'm your friend. And then you know what? She's going to surprise you. And I think Richard's going to agree with me on this. You're going to find after you put that, that, that desire maybe on, on the, sh- just put it away a little bit. She's going to surprise you when you least expect it. She may reach out for your hand or say, let's walk arm in arm or, or just, it could be the, the smallest gesture, but I have a feeling that that will happen. And I, and I know that's hard that, that what you're going through now, that's difficult. That's, that's tough stuff. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to keep that in mind because when I show up and like I said, in a, for a few weeks over the summer, she'd be in her room in a state of distress. Lately, she's been out amongst the other residents doing whatever it is they do. And when I show up, I don't get an, a, a, oh, hi. I get, well, what are you doing here? I mean, it's friendly, but it's like, really? <laughs> you know, and so I always say, well, I'm here to visit with you. Oh, you know, and then she says a variety of different strange answers. It's, and I'm wondering if, if I'm reacting like emotionally, like if it, it's like a barb hitting. And so she kind of gets that sense. And then I have to kind of pivot away from, you know, it would just be really nice if she just said, oh, hi. Oh, that's, that's what 
doesn't even have to tell me it's nice to see you or anything. That would be wonderful. (laughs) And then you get hurt and it's, you know, you're human. It's impossible not to show that emotion. Um, Richard, could you step in here? Because your experience is so different. Um, You know, you don't get those sorts of reactions from Kate. Has there ever been a time where maybe she was a little upset with you? And can you talk about how, or or she didn't seem herself, how, how you pivoted away from that? Uh, well, I, I'll, yes, the answer is yes. Uh, I have tended to joke with her a lot. That it's just part of my silly personality coming from my father. And uh, Sarah has, uh, Kate has never been one to do that. But she started uh, early on, she started joking with me, which I was encouraged about. But what, what happened was her joking uh, took on a sarcastic note and crept into being more serious. They, they didn't seem funny when she was joking with me. They seemed, and so this happened early in the morning, especially, and that's when she's groggiest and, and I wake up alert. So those two things don't work well. Um, and I made a conscious effort to stop joking with her. Uh, because I felt like I had led her into that by joking and that she tried it and it, it got into a, a very negative kind of interaction. So I cut out at that and I work consciously very much the way Jennifer is working consciously now with her mother mm-hmm. to, to put on a happy face and to be soft and gentle and, and uh, particularly not abrupt with her in the morning. And uh, over time, I have found that that has worked out. And I mean, this made a change because I made a change, but it didn't happen overnight. It was a succession of, of a, really over a long term, but we no longer have that. And uh, I, I'm also thinking about the difference in the relationship again between a spouse and a parent. And I'm particularly as Jennifer, as I was listening to you, I was thinking, I believe I've heard your story from other women before whose mothers did not have dementia, um, that the mother-daughter relationship has a lot of special qualities to it uh, in itself. And, and that's a complexity that the spousal arrangement doesn't have. Of course, a, two spouses could have a horrible relationship and, and exacerbate the problems with dementia. It just turns out ours has been a more um, a comforting, supportive, loving kind of relationship, which then has facilitated our getting along. Um, one other thing I would add, and Lisa, I think you probably feel this way, and we'll, we'll see. You know, a number of authorities suggest that, that uh, getting angry or bitter are not, things like that are not direct symptoms of dementia, but they're uh, a secondary act that occurs because they don't understand the intentions. And I find that with Kate now that, that there are times she misinterprets something I've said and she's, she takes offense or I, she thinks I rushed her. I didn't mean to, but she felt it. Mm-hmm. And I re- boy, she's good about telling me. And I respond quickly to adjust and not push. And I think that mm-hmm. has, has helped me a lot in, in uh, improving the situation. That's a very good point, Richard. Um, yeah. Uh, if we could get back to grief a little bit. Um, Richard, I have a question for you. Uh, do you, let's, I'd like to talk about anticipatory grief. Is that something that's a constant companion for you? Or are you able to just push that away? You talked about when you wake up early in the morning, it is there. It is, fortunately, it is not a constant companion, it, uh, not at all. However, it comes in waves. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it sneaks up on me at times. And, uh, you know, I, I can't say that I can put my finger on it. I do think it's at least partially involved in new symptoms that Kate has. When something, you know, there's a new loss, something that I haven't seen before, it's a reminder of the direction in which we are moving and that I don't like that direction. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, and then I, you know, I'm going to deal with that for a short time, but it is short lived. It's not something that lingers with me for a couple of days. Uh, 
It's, uh, it, but I, I do find I go through times when, when a day or so, I, you know, I'm really bothered and I think directly about anticipatory grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find myself thinking more about things I wouldn't have permitted myself to think. I think now about her death. Uh, just the other day, I was talking with someone and I was talking about, uh, for the first time, I'm think I've talked with some other people whose spouses have died um, shortly after the stage where Kate is right now. And I express my own feeling that as much as I would hate to lose her, I think I would feel good if she passed away before she had to spend five and a half years like her mother, uh, semi-conscious and, and unable to have much quality of life at all. So mm-hmm. I, I do think about death. It's, it's more present. I also was concerned about what would happen to me, what to her if something happened to me. Uh. We're both in good health. But I have become uh, a little anxious about I, I mean, what would she do? She, she can't function without me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have my staff prepared to jump in for me and immediately before our son could get to us or our, our daughter, either one. Uh, but I have recently made arrangements at a continuing uh, care com- res- retirement community mm-hmm. uh, for us that would be a two-year period, but I'm not sure... Kate would be able to join me at that time and might not, might not be with me. But it enables me, I'm considered, a, having made a down payment, I'm considered a member of that community now, and I have all of their resources, which include a senior daycare, memory care unit, a skilled nursing, you know, the works, mm-hmm. that I could take advantage of now if, I, if something happened to me. Well, that's great. So the element of planning, which folks talk about, but but not often enough. And that's wonderful that you have thought that out, you know, through the long term. And it takes away some of the the anxiety that you may feel, the pressure you may uh, to answer that question. What if? So you've taken that instead of just sitting back and worrying about it, you've taken those steps, and that's great, Richard. Um, a question I have for you that. Jennifer has brought up, um, it's talked about a lot in the media, is the male caregiver. Now, are you, how do you feel about, obviously you don't have a problem with sharing your feelings, but do you feel there's a stigma there? There's, there's even, you know, men in their, their teens, 20s, 30s, they, they, it's common now, uh, they just feel trapped with their emotions and that somehow it's not macho to express them. What are your thoughts and feelings around men expressing grief? (laughs) Well, I wish it could be otherwise. It would be my starting point, but I feel like there's so much history behind this. And uh, I I do believe that we are changing. I believe men are learning a lot of things. I think the way the world is changing with uh, more contact and uh, with women in work settings and in virtually every profession. I, I think the world is changing and men change with that. Um, but I think we're better off if we can express our feelings. Uh, and I don't know why I do. By the way, my father, as much as I admire him, he was not one to do that. <laughs> he, you know, he just never did it, but I, he was a man of his generation. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm, I don't know why I feel differently, but it's been a part of me. I, actually, I do think I'm a funny combination of my mother and my father, more more my father, but I think I got a touch of my mother when it comes down to, uh, I don't know that I should say it this way, but a more feminine disposition in a variety of risks. I think I'm a more natural caregiver uh, than my father, almost my father, you know, he was so in love with my mother. He was a very, very loving caregiver to her and in, to his significant other mm-hmm. as well. Um, and I don't have any instruction for, for other guys <laughs> to explain to them how they can be as I am. I'm not certain I fully understand why I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I, I feel like I've been this way a long time. Mm-hmm. Jennifer, maybe that's why your um, journey with Kate has been, I don't want to say easier than other people, but that's the word that comes to mind. Well, you know, I also think, too, the fact that I've had gone through, I've been really involved with the caregiving. It wasn't just, you know, women often are the ones who carry that burden of caregiving. But I walked along with Kate in this with her parents, and then I handled it largely with my parents. I think all of that sensitized me to the whole situation of illnesses and the problems and, re- and trying to solve the problems. Uh, I am a planner, I think, by nature. I mentioned to uh, Jennifer earlier that I have a little touch of OCD. <laughs> and uh, so I, I like to know about things in the future. I've always, by the way, part of my own career was involved in market research and, I, and in tourism, particularly. I know that women are the ones largely who are the focus of advertising in tourism because women are the ones who largely plan vacations. My wife's never planned anything related to a vacation at all. And we've had spectacular trips, but every one we've had, I've planned. So, you know, I don't know how I explained entirely why I'm what I am, but I do think it has been fortuitous in terms of the responsibilities that I presently have and makes it easier for me to do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Richard. Um, Jennifer, do you want to touch on any other points about grief that we haven't covered yet? Well, as I've mentioned, I go see mom once a week after my rotary meeting on Mondays. It's, it, it's what works. And I'm like Richard, I'm a planner. And I don't, I don't shift my plans easily which sometimes is not good. I mean, I'm pretty flexible, but you know, when you look at your week and it's structured in a certain way, it's, it's not easy to just say, well, let me just juggle all this around. And so I can see mom on a different day that didn't start out frustrating for me. As I mentioned, you know, the, the visit we had a couple of weeks ago did not go well. And I think a lot of it was because my day didn't start out great. And I probably carried more of that with me than I should have. But the other day I was just thinking, I'm like, what in the heck am I going to do with Monday afternoons when she's gone? And, it, you know, it, there's days when I think, oh, I'm so done with this. I'm, you know, it's so exhausting. I'm always trying to be happy and give her joy. And even though she's poking every button that I've got and repeating herself in this, you know, the same word in the same place. And, ugh, you know, and then I think, OK, what am I going to do with myself on Monday afternoons? And it was really kind of an interesting maybe thought experiment because I thought that's going to be really Uh strange as much as I don't particularly enjoy visits. It's, I don't, I don't dislike them. They're just, it's very hard to explain. I, I, they're, they're, they're a job. I take her out to give her a change of scenery, which is good for her you know, and I try to give her joy because that's about all I can do. I mean, she can't participate in the activities. She doesn't communicate, you know, much anymore. Her, her voc, you know, her, her language processing is, is almost as bad now as her visual processing. So it's, it's very, it's almost like taking a, a toddler to the park that the one that can't play. And we just sit there and I'm, I'm having to find ways to find enjoyment. Like the other day, it was really nice. You know, it's fall, so it's, it's beautiful. And, you know, the sun was warm, the breeze was cool. And she's watching the kids. And after a little while, I'm done watching the kids go on the slide. So I just close my eyes and put my head back on the bench and listen to the birds and listen to the kids squeal and play and stuff and that helped a lot because if I'm just sitting there watching the kids like she's doing my brain is going round and round and round and round about the 500 things I should be doing I really hate that part (laughs) so that's great that you uh, you just sat back and let nature 
surround you and enjoy the sights and the sounds of mother nature. That's wonderful. I just find when I, I'm getting to the point too, where I, I just admit to myself more and to people around me. It's like, I am useless when I get home from dealing with my mom, even if it's an hour and a half, two hours, my brain is so tired. It's, it's interesting because I generally want a light snack at about four o'clock, which is about the time I start leaving her. And I don't bring, you know, it's like, I've already bring food with me to the meeting. So I'm not packing a giant picnic basket full of food. So I get home and I'm hungry and I'm tired. And I always think, well, I'll respond to these emails or I'll, you know, I'll do it. Never happens. I come home, read news articles, read a book, just lay on the, you know, watch the TV show or something, just anything. My brain is just done. And I'm just having to admit that I'm not any good on Monday evenings. Well, the, the dementia journey is not easy, but um, maybe we'll close with self-care. Talk a little bit about that because, you know, as we're um, experiencing this journey with our loved one with dementia and grieving along the way, you know, it's important that we, we take care of ourselves. Um, Richard, would you like to share what, what you do for yourself regarding self-care? Well, I'd be uh, happy to. And I also, I'm going to have to leave uh, in a few minutes. So I'm, I will summarize quickly, but I do a lot of things. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, I have read for a long time and I read, I, I exercise and I read. I've been going to the Y for many years. I keep going. I no longer go in the morning because I feel I can't leave her. So I have, that's why I have a sitter three afternoons a week that enables me to go to the Y for that. In addition, I walk and I walked in the neighborhood until about a little over a year ago. And then I just felt I couldn't leave Kate in the morning. So I literally walk within the house for 40 minutes every morning, uh, listening to my audio books. So I listen to all of So the audio books and the exercise helped me. In addition, uh, music, uh, we don't have time to tell you everything, but we have binged on music. I play music all the time and it goes from the time well, just after I listen to NPR in the, mm -hmm. in the morning, uh, then I turn on music and it goes, we even go to bed with music playing at night Wonderful. in the car going and coming. Uh, I've, I selected originally, I did this because of the panic attacks that, and anxiety attacks that Kate would have. I play, started off with a Brahms violin concerto, the second movement of that and added Mildeson and Tchaikovsky. And then now I've just got, tons of stuff that I play all the time. So music has been really therapeutic for me. I continue to be involved. I've been a very active community volunteer, both with our health foundation on, on whose board I served for nine years and chaired it for two years. Uh, I've been uh, inactive with United Way since 1984 and I'm active with them right now. So I meet with them. Uh, I serve on two different United Way committees. Mm -hmm. Uh, I still, I don't do much. I gave up. I used to teach a class at church. I gave that up uh, two years ago um, because I needed more time with Kate and she can't, it's hard for her to get up in the morning. Mm -hmm. uh, but I maintain contact with people. We get out, we eat. I chose eight years ago for us to eat out for every meal. And we have eaten out, uh, you know, about 6,000 times in the, wow. that time period. Uh, and that has enabled us. The food means essentially nothing. That's a frill. It's the social contact that's been critical for us. Uh, it has kept us from being isolated. It's worked for Kate and it's worked for me. For Kate, it involves short-term interactions that she can handle. And they're usually one-on-one -on -one with a server or somebody, some friend we see. And we always see friends. Virtually every time we go out, we'll bump into somebody from the community that we know from either work, our professions, or from church, or from some voluntary organization. And those kind of interactions are great for her because she knows how to say, greet somebody, oh, it's good to see you. Even if she doesn't know who they are, she's able to carry that off beautifully, even now. Uh -huh. So I've got a ton of stuff, and, and uh, I've got uh, people, you know, we invite people out. We've got friends in three different cities around here that we take day trips to, to visit uh, fairly frequently. Some overnight trips still. Overnight's the only kind of travel we do. Mm -hmm. 
So I have a lot of things that keep me going. I like to be busy and it has helped me tremendously. Wow. Thank you for sharing all of that. What wonderful examples. And I think, Jennifer, I know you'll agree. I think Richard's given our listeners um, some new ideas as well. You know, um, there's a lot of, you know, Mm -hmm. wonderful. I didn't, by the way, mention the blog, of course, and Twitter. Excellent. (laughs) Writing. Yes. That's wonderful. What's What's the web address of your blog, Richard? It's HTTP, and then the, I never remember whether it's colon, forward slash, forward slash, but it's living with Alzheimer's. The key is it's not a www.livingwithalzheimer's.com, but it is just the HTTP and then livingwithalzheimer's.com. It has okay, okay. I'll make put, sure that's linked on the show notes. Okay, I'll send you the do link. You share, do you update you. it weekly question. or daily, Richard? How often are you writing on your blog? Oh, that's a funny thing. I I try, I, I write almost daily, sometimes more often Wonderful. than daily. I, I average more than one a day. Um, and that what's funny about that is I hate to write. <laughs> um, I, I really don't like it at all. But I have felt, uh, having started this, it's funny, I feel a commitment and I my unstated goal is to have something by nine o'clock each morning. And I find that more recently, that is harder for me to achieve. And I'm about to write a post, I think, for tomorrow saying I, a real success was scored yesterday when I didn't write one at all and I didn't feel bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's part of my OCD. Uh, well, that's wonderful. Gosh, thank you. Well, it, I enjoyed being a guest today. Thank you for this opportunity, Jennifer. Thank you, Richard. It was great to spend time with you both. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Jennifer. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us at the last minute today. I'm glad to do it. Thanks so much. Bye now. Bye-bye. So he's out. Okay. Do you want me to tell you about my self-care? Okay. Uh, We're still recording. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mine's a little more simple than... Well, I do go to the gym six days a week. That was started because I needed to improve my health. There's a big family history of diabetes on my dad's side. And I weighed at least 100 pounds more than I should have. So I, um, I went on a journey to find what worked to lose the weight. And I am loathe to to stop any of those things because I don't need to put it up, put uh-huh. it back on. Fortunately, after I turned 50, I did gain about 20 pounds and I'm almost 53 and I still have to lose those 20 pounds. It's very uh-huh. frustrating. But, the gym, you're moving so, your chi. That's wonderful. That's great. Yes. Well, I find if like when my dad was on hospice and my morning routine would get disrupted with calls from the hospital or the hospice people. And and if I couldn't go to the gym or go out and ride my bike, now he was in the hospital in December of 2016. So I wasn't doing a lot of outdoor riding at that point because it's a little wet and cold. Um, I found if I didn't do my normal morning routine of exercising, it wasn't, it was a lot harder to deal with what was going on. It was just like I needed to like burn off the, pre-burn off the right. stress. So the other thing, I'm, I'm a lot like Richard. It's reading and, and exercising, which that's very interesting. I've that's great. kind of gotten back into reading novels, just mystery novels, just nothing Alzheimer's related mm-hmm. whatsoever. And I'm making it a goal to read at least 15 or 20 minutes a day, which for me is mm-hmm. nothing. But if I... But because I've made the commitment to do it every day, like last night I got in bed and I'm like, oh, I'm really kind of tired. But I read for about 20 minutes and I'm like, there, okay, I did it. And I think it helps me sleep better because it kind of takes your mind off of the all, all the Alzheimer's that I spend my day thinking about. And then I'm also pretty creative. So I try to do something creative 
either with cooking or a craft or some home decorating kind of thing, decorating for the holidays. So that that's the kind of stuff that fills me up. So, you know, you don't have to spend a ton of time. I am a Rotarian. Mm-hmm. I do do a lot of volunteering. I do volunteering through the Alzheimer's Association. So those are the things that help fill me up. And and then, of course, I have this podcast. I get to talk to all right. kinds of fun fun people. That right. helps, too. And, and you, you know, we can't say it often enough that you can't pour from an empty cup and you can't forget about um, who you are as, you know, you're assisting your loved one through their journey um, with dementia or any other illness. And um, it's, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough lesson to learn. It's great to hear about all the things that you do, Jennifer, and, and Richard's story as well. Um, So grief is a big topic. I'm glad to come on your show again sometime in the future to talk about it. Um, It's, it's complicated. Um, and especially as we know, you know, they, they, they call Alzheimer's the long goodbye. So it is very unique uh, in that, you know, you, you, you have to watch um, the person you love so much say goodbye <laughs> over a long period of time. And it's, it breaks your heart. Um, it doesn't. The one thing that I find really interesting mm-hmm. is, you know, like I said, I'll be 53 in a month and my mom is almost 77 and her brain is broken. I mean, obviously, unless I get hit by a bus riding my bike, God forbid, she's not going to outlive me. Now I've just jinxed myself, right? I find it very interesting that society kind of puts on you the, well, I can, I need to do everything I can for my mom, even though that you know, like so many people, especially women caregivers, you know, a lot of them give up working or give up working full time and go part time or they give up a lot to take care of this Mm -hmm. person. And there are days when I just have to remind myself that my life actually matters more because I'm the one, you know, it's my sister and I, we're the ones that are, you know, responsible for mom. Yes, she's in a community that takes care of her, but she's still our mom. She's still our responsibility. You know, my sister's got kids at home, so I think the world looks at her and says, well, it's okay if you do a little less because you've got these Mm -hmm. kids, but my daughter's grown, so I'm just supposed to devote everything to mom? Like, no, no, no. That's, it's, I I find that interesting. I find it interesting that there's times when I feel like, well, I'm not doing enough, which, of course, we talked about. That's how I've felt with them Mm -hmm. all my life. And then other days when it's like, you know, especially when I, you know, I was, we were talking yesterday on the phone, I've been having this battle with her doctors who just seem to think that I have nothing else to do, but wait for them to give me instructions on what they want Uh to do with her, which is super frustrating. It's like the balance between providing as much as I can for her without completely upending my entire life is really a challenge. And I'm, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. You're not alone. It's very, very challenging for many folks. (laughs) So it's good that, that we talk about it and find new ways of doing things and um, just talk about our feelings. Yeah. It's especially challenging for women. Um, Yeah. And that I hope to, that you'll dedicate another future podcast just to that. Um, Women in the workplace, women in their forties, fifties, sixties, Etc. Yeah, it's uh, that's what I need. One more idea. You for know, You've got dozens and dozens. It's just maybe another one. Yeah, because I, I left the workforce to to assist my family with taking care of my dad. So so yeah, I, I could talk about that. And I know I'm not alone. There's there's many women who have, and uh, it's, it's a big topic. So um, well, I'll, I'll add that <laughs> to the list. When I was out riding my bike on mm-hmm. Monday, I. I only have, I have a limited amount of time on Monday right. mornings. So it's kind of a go out and do as many miles as I can in the wind in the 90 minute mm-hmm. window, because then I got to come home and shower dress and get ready to go to our rotary meeting. And then from the rotary meeting, I go see mom. So it's, that's the, that's the planning part of me. Wow. It's like, it's, there's not a lot of flexibility in there. It's like, yes, I can ride the bike and I can do these things, but you know, I can't spend two hours riding my bike, but I took a different path just because I felt like it. And 
I always, Mondays is the only day I ride solo. And all of these ideas were popping in my head when I came home you know, my husband's like, Oh, how was your ride? Da, da, da. And I grab a paper and a pen and I start writing down like, man, the brain was going this morning. I was writing down these ideas and, and the ones that were popping early in the ride were almost getting buried by the new ideas. I was like, man, I have to start riding with a piece of paper in my bag or something. <laughs> so I got a bunch of ideas. It's like, I do use the exercise too, as a time to kind of just let my brain, I don't know, like free flow. <laughs> And just go where it needs to go, which generally is in a more creative direction, thankfully. And yeah, so I got all these ideas for podcasts and you're giving me ideas. And so, well, we're getting closer to the beginning of year three. So that's a good thing. Excellent. Well, thank you for all you do to inform your listeners. And um, it's it's wonderful to support uh, caregivers and care partners and families, everyone who is on this journey. You've helped a lot of people during this time. So thank you for all that you do. It was great to talk to you today. Thank you for having me on as a guest. You're welcome. And I'm sure we'll, we'll do this again. Sometime we will. Soon. Thank you. Be well. Take care. Well, you've made it to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for joining me. If you found this episode helpful and informative, please give us a five-star rating and review on Apple iTunes. This is how new people will find us. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. All of our accounts are linked in the show notes. And as always, I will be in your ears again next Tuesday.